Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome Peter Sinfield, progressive rock legend. Peter <laughs> was the lyricist and illuminator ooh, for King Crimson and wrote many lyrics for other amazing bands such as Emerson, Lake, and Palmer as well. Welcome, Peter. How are you today? Thank you very much. Um, I'm, uh, I'm reasonable. <laughs> reasonable, clever. I'm okay, and um, it's always strange looking backwards on the past and it things like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, that's for sure. <laughs> but I did a few other things, I'm happy to say. Yes. One of which um, is relevant to this conversation, and it's called Rocks and Music, I believe. Hmm. Well, all right, yeah. I, you, you've certainly got got quite a quite um a, a lot you you've done, and it, it's really really interesting to me, uh, especially like like your your lyrics and and poetry. And c- could I ask, like, what's your process when you write that stuff? Um. What's the process? Process. Process. Interesting American word. Process. <laughs> um. Process. It's um. I just wander off into my brain, really. It's the uh, simplest way I put it. Having watched the news, probably an awful lot of it comes from the news and superior news and um, my reaction to it. Would you say you? I guess a lot of it comes from that. Yeah, yeah. Would you? Would you say a lot of it is like? Like about the the bad stuff you see, like I I know twenty first century schizoid man wasn't that about like how you felt about war? Yes, it was in a sort of naive sort of simplistic sort of way. Um, but it was actually an interesting task to do to to, to write um, a piece of music, um, not glorify war. Yes, about that. Yet it was exciting and used the. The implements of war inherently in the song, as it were. Therefore, it was shouted, and and the words were especially um, dug out of their uh, disinterred, perhaps, um, to be particularly violent and um, and warlike. And uh, to some degree, I succeeded, I think, in that. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's quite a powerful song, and I I really love yeah. like I love what you've done with the lyrics there, mixed with uh, Greg Lake's voice. It it kind of works perfectly. <laughs> yes. And the engineer's trick of we, we wound up the uh, we overloaded the input on the on the microphone and that that is a distortion so simple a trick and uh, which is why it comes out like that and the, the, it's full of it's full of imagery that I I wonder where I got got it from the cat's foot and you know the use of a, another person to your nasty ends and. Uh, what was very important to me was that the words had the sound of um, violence about them, like, and that was that was the trick was to make them so that Greg could sing them and then really shout them, hmm. and, uh, and therefore they would uh, had that sort of um, ignorance about them, like blind men's creed and things like that. I mean that that certainly and the rest of your works, it's just incredible. Like the the thought that that those lyrics can come out of a person's brain to me the second i heard my first king crimson song i was just like wow this guy knows how to write lyrics like that is oof. Well, you're very kind oh this guy reads the newspapers a lot and uh but it's not always like that it's, it's more gothic than that sometimes it's that mm. go back to what's crimson king and things like that yeah yes well, how do you visualize what you wanted, like in the court of the Crimson King, like that album, to like be? I think I just wanted it to be um, imagined, and therefore it was um, gothic. It came out sort of gothic because I imagined it to be an imagining 
and uh, and a lot of my work is I guess like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it it worked. It's it's kind of gothic. Is there is there any deeper meaning to to all the songs together? Like like who is the Crimson King, the Moon Child, the Schizoid Man? What 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 are their yes. stories? There isn't as much as you think, and they are just um, fictive, if you like, characters of my consciousness at a point in time. The Moon Child was probably, um, probably my wife Stephanie. She likes to think so. Um, and uh, but the, the, the call of the Crimson King, well, it's a cartoon, it's Beelzebub, but it wasn't Beelzebub. It wasn't the devil. It was more uh, abstract thought. It was more of the abstract thought of all the evil in the world taken together. Um, but not actually them personified, I think. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Like, w- with these songs you've written, do you, like, come up with new interpretations, kind of, like, years later? Other people do. John Green did. John Green went to credit length to uh, to reinterpret a lot of the things I'd written, which was kind of him, and sometimes made sense. Mm. Um, I don't know what else I can say, really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly a lot to pull from from your songs. One thing I've noticed, like a lot, is your way of describing things. Like, mm. you just use the the most powerful words and the most like vivid imagery. How do you manage to do that? Uh, I do that because I don't care um, that I'm using the powerful imagery. If you see what I mean, it's all important. And the imagery is more important than the actual meaning. And there's quite often very little meaning, but there's quite a lot of um, power, I want a better word, in the actual sort of sounds of the songs. This still occurs all the way through to ELP and to PFM and all manner of things all the way through. Um, I've always been interested in the actual noises that words make. And, uh, and it's... it's Started in a way with Kingdoms and they carried on through BFM, PM, ELP, I suppose, and things like that. Yeah, I, I mean, so do you just do you pull like, say, like a word has a C or T? It sounds, I don't know, like yes. So oh, so you you really? It's, it's all important. The C's, the consonants, um, the consonants and the natural sounds, the cuts and the and the sort of hits and. Um, Things are very important to me, um, and that that therein lies the poetry, I suppose. And uh, yes. Yeah. Well, would you say that's like one of your your main focuses when you write a poem, like like what the words themselves sound like, rather than yes. Okay. Okay. I say it was very important, of where the breath comes. Mm. Um, and uh, because I, I, the meaning will come. Between the words that way, it's without, as it were, it will appear in the world, whatever I'm meaning to say, and I sometimes really have no idea. Um, I sometimes know, I sometimes don't. But it's, um, but it, I know it's definitely terribly important to me, so I concentrate on that as much as anything. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I look through some of your, some of your work, and I, I see incredible works like like epitaph that that song sticks with me every, every time i hear it how yeah. did how do you like figure out that metaphor with like the, the wall on which the prophets wrote how how did that uh, come through your brain good question i must i sold it really didn't i um it's, it is i mean it's a 
from a phrase from the, the writing on the wall, a simple phrase, taken with, mixed with some mixed up Arabic um, um, over reading, which I probably do, of situations. And, uh, but I was very pleased to, to sort of gather some mystique out of something. And um, that is an important thing to do. Mm. And uh, that's what that song is all about, Mystique, really. The wall which it's cracking at the seams. It's, um, it didn't have to be cracking. It didn't have to be seams. There's a lot of things it didn't have to be, but um, the things it became in the end make it the sort of song that it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, that song is one of my favorites um, of all time. I... Uh, <laughs> That yeah, that that song is just incredible, and you know, so is that whole album um, in the court of the Crimson King. I I kind of can't get yeah. past it. It's it just blows me away every time I hear it. Ah, you're very kind. Um, well, you should go and you should get you should get out a bit more though. If you read the sort of things I was reading, Gormenghast and um, things like that at the same time, you'll see that there are parallels of of, um, of sort of I don't know, you know gothic things going on with it it, 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 it it's it's just like a fashionable thing to a point that uh, that I picked up at a point in time and um, continued to add infinitum I suppose it's it's fun to do of course and um, it's fun to sort of see if you can shock yourself in, into what you're writing if you can get enough surprise and out of the words, it's, um, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, I, I mean, poetry is and something. People like you. Yeah, it, it's something, you know, I, I've always, like, read, and it's always had such, like, an impact on me. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like writing it must be, yeah, it must be so much fun. I, I should try it sometime. <laughs> Indeed, you should. It, because it is, it is fun. It's... Um, and then the more serious it is, the sort of more fun it becomes. It's, um, it's sort of perverse, isn't it, in a way? But uh, I'm surprised you don't write occasionally. Perhaps you do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just made the decision last night, actually, that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start writing poems. This this sounds there like you fun. And who, you know who I'm talking to tomorrow? Peter Sinfield. This guy knows what he's talking <laughs> about. <laughs> yes. Might as well start at the bottom and work up and uh, <laughs> see where you get yourself. Yeah. Well, I read lots of things like um, Robert Louis Stevenson and um, what else? I read Sherlock Holmes. Lots of Sherlock Holmes. Lots of, there's, there's, there's lots of Englishness permeates, permeates, permeates my work, I think. And um, because I had an English master who was um, taught me Shakespeare and maybe appreciate the, the sounds of words and the... The sounds of Shakespeare. Once you appreciate Shakespeare and the way Shakespeare did, and you you take the the sound as being as important, if not more important, than the actual meaning of what you're trying to get, because the meaning will come out of the sounds quite often, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, look look at Shakespeare. Like this guy's this guy's become a legend, right? <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but, and to do that by reading and you read and you read and you read so it sort of bubbles over the pot and so you're cooking something and uh, low notes and high notes and things but um you to become a decent writer i think you must be a very decent reader 
And a lot of what I read would go almost directly into what I then later produced as a writer. And I think it's very important. So you... Thus I, I read lots of science fiction and things, but they weren't the most important things. The most important things was Shakespeare, I guess. And... Um, Wow. Yeah, because you either, you either love the way it sounds or you don't, you know. Yeah, I didn't realize like a lot of a lot of your inspiration came from Shakespeare. That's really really cool. Yes. Um just insofar as from the sounds and the use of sounds and the abbreviations and the, uh, the consonants and the way they clash and the way they they build up, you know. It's um so to say that it comes from Shakespeare, but those are it's the mechanicals as much as the um the meanings maybe more, in fact. Um, comes from Shakespeare. The mechanicals are very important. It's very important. I read a, I have a book. It's called The Education of a Poet. It's by, uh, I forgot her name now, female poet, a British female poet, whose name is a very eccentric person. And uh, she made a, a point of taking other people's poetry to pieces and seeing why the repetition of the consonants and the build-up of the sounds made the overall effect of the, of the poem. Or the song, as it occurs, I, I treat them as the same, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Um, gosh, so you you really had all sorts of, all sorts of inspirations. I re- read somewhere like your mom was also a big one, which I I guess that makes sense. Um, a a, a mom's usually a a pretty big influence in in a life. <laughs> um, yes, I guess she was. The my English teacher was my biggest influence. Who was an amazing man. Which was like a movie, really, um, and made me learn all these things from Shakespeare, and which I hated at the first, but then grew to love. And uh, but it was very important as an influence in my continuing career, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was more of a hands sort of artistic person. She was a color artist, um, but uh, it was a very artistic household. Yeah, lucky you. Um, yes, I guess that's for me. And she used to make it even more so by taking borders and people to live there. And um, we, we had, a, for instance, a, a housekeeper from Hungary whose name was Maria. And she was a huge influence on me because just the way she um, picked at life and the the, uh, the better parts of she would go riding and she would do all the manner of things, which I found fascinating. And... Um, she would then live her life, but though she came from Hungary, she lived it like an aristocrat, mm. and um, which I think had a huge influence on me, strangely enough. Perhaps I wanted to live mine like an aristocrat. I have no idea. That's, yeah, that's really cool. I, I guess you always you always have people to, to look up to and to draw inspiration from, yeah. Yeah, sort of. Huh. Um, um, or at least understand what all the... Um, the poor ignorant people are reading or studying or what influences things in the world and, and how they get influenced. And they get influenced by superior thinking. And the superior thinking comes from, you know, from uh, philosophers and um, people like that. Well, could, could I ask you how, did you, how did King Crimson, like, all come together as a group? How did it come together? Yeah. Yes, it came together as an accident, really. It came together because because Ian McDonald and I had met, and I had invited him to join my band, and he'd been very kind and said, I think you um, you have quite interesting lyrics, but everything else about your band is terrible. <laughs> so would you like to write some songs? And I went, yes, because he could play 
everything, Ian. He could play all manner of instruments, and he was he'd had this education in the army, and I instantly picked up on him as I thought he was a well genius, really. And but the the bulk of what came from King Crimson comes from his classical education. In whilst he was in the army, which he hated being in the army, nevertheless it taught him the scope of music and uh, it taught him about arrangement and there thus I learned by sort of hanging about with him um, because it was fascinating and he had this extraordinary way of expressing all manner of things using music and I um, I learned how to do it as well I think was yeah yeah it, it's always been so interesting to me um, with the Frith wasn't that important he was important obviously but he wasn't as important as Ian in my opinion yeah yeah well the style of the music changed well, as important as Mike Jai what you could say the mm-hmm. style of drumming of which I've never heard better before or since mm-hmm. yeah the, yeah King Crimson to me I've just always been so fascinated with all of all that like different musical I guess like the different musical style and the experimentation that yes that you were able that, to but do it also has a sort of rather primitive thing from comes from Greg's time with a pop band and and various things that he was in and so he was the one wearing the velvet trousers he was the pop star in the band whereas Fripp was the non pop star and Liam was the one of the musicians the other musician of course was Mike Giles and they were a very solid pair of very much music music jazz whatever you want to call it you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of the the King Crimson stuff I've heard is just so so musically different than anything you would expect that yeah. that even could have been successful at the time. And it's just so so interesting to me. Like I love like the the ten minute like the Court of the Crimson King. Like that song, it yes. it's really great. But it's just it's so interesting to me. Like how how that came along, how all that that ah. music came together. <laughs> It came along from from an attitude, really, from like um, we had an attitude that we were sort of cleverer than everybody else, and therefore we would make music that was more complicated, different time changes and different this, this and that than everybody else, and um, that's what we tried to do, not, not sort of telling everybody that's what we were doing, but that's all of what we tried to do was to um, do things that hadn't been done by another rock band as such, and could be class as being a type of music, rock music, as opposed to jazz or anything else. And uh, it was very important to the band to nothing we we did. It had been sort of equally done before. And this also applied to the words, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you you, you kind of succeeded with, with your um, trying to trying to be different. like. Yes. It, uh, well, it's good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so... And then you you see like you you look at say the album you pull it out and down staring staring down at you is this I guess like schizoid man it, it's like yes whoa <laughs> that's another fluke you know it was just if I hadn't known Barry Godber and been a friend of mine I wouldn't have asked him to design the cover I didn't really know that was what he was going to do until he did it and um, it's that extraordinary cover. And then showed it to us. And Mike Charles didn't like it, as I remember well. I had to persuade him perhaps he was wrong. It was going to look amazing. I knew it would look amazing in shop windows. And I thought that was the important thing, was that if we put lots of copies of the cover in a shop window, it would stand out. And it, it did that. 
which was good because they didn't stay in town. People were interested in it. They may perhaps go and buy it, um, which is what happened, of course. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, yeah? yeah, that that album, <laughs> of course, stands out. Like, that face, it, it's scary, it stands right? stands out even more so if you get a, a window full of them, you know. Oh, boy. It, it's great by itself in Iraq, but it's... Um, but even to think, to assume that you, someone would want to put lots of them in a window was a bit, um, a bit superior, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, well, a bit bold. Yeah, yeah. When you like, when you asked Barry Godber to, to like paint this for you, did did you tell him like, did he hear the music? Did they heard the music? He'd been to um, quite a few rehearsals, but I didn't tell him what to paint. I had no idea what he was going to paint and whether it was going to be in two halves and whether. Um, he was going to um, design sort of evil at work, um, which is more or less what he did. And um, But he only did that by coming to listen to the band on a few occasions, I suppose, some hours, and um, and then presenting it as, as a fait complete. And we could go, blimey, which is what we did. Um, and, uh, and on it went, really. Yeah, yeah, that's... Well, that's a crazy album in like like all of its ways. It's you you open you look at the front. It's like whoa. You open it up. Whoa. You yeah. put you put on the music. Whoa. Like. <laughs> well, you're right, Kai. This is what we were trying to do. Of course, we wanted we um, the way we saw music and the way we saw everything. The music, the truth, it's wonderfully reflected in the album cover. I don't know if you did another different album cover for it. And what on earth it would look like. But the album cover is just perfect for it. It's um, it it, it, it astonished the musicians as much as it astonished anybody else, you know. And it certainly astonished the world. And that's what it. Of course, that was what it was supposed to do. Everything was supposed to surprise you and astonish you. I think. And um, it does that. The words do that. The music does that. Everything does it. You know. We had to. We're desperate to be different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> gosh. And yeah. You succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. You succeeded. That's. That's for sure. And and one other thing I, I noticed about like your your credits on that album mm. were they were words and illumination, right? Yes. So you you did we, lighting at the shows, right? Exactly so. It was very primitive. Um but it was lighting. I mean it, it, the performers were lit rather primitively, but um it was it was different without the lighting and um and that was partly the illumination. The other part was a pretension on my part, if you like, of telling them that what might be good for them to do. Um, of course, this is what I they, what would be good for them to do is what I wanted them to do. So it was all sort of my vision, and um, as a, as a result of my researches and um, and looking at the world as it were. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you you've illuminated me today, right? I'm <laughs> I've learned a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I hope you see, it always surprises me because um, at the time you know, well, I, this is what I did, but actually what what you did or what I did was fairly amazing. And it, it's always a pleasure when someone else recognizes the same as a likewise similar spirit, which you appear to have, which is always very nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after um, the in the court of the Crimson King, the 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 album released, mm. you you guys like. You played a bit for a year, and then the band kind of changed, right? Yes. Well, well it changed as well, because people left and people came and went, you know. But, I mean, the problem was um, Mike was such a difficult difficult person, difficult musician, so brilliant to work with. Ian was a little bit moody, and they they couldn't stand Fripp. So the actual sort of 
social um, carryings on of the everybody would. It was amazing. It's just, it actually stayed together for a year. That actually played any gigs or did anything, and nobody then realised quite how valuable it was. We played gigs and we did everything that you're supposed to do, and went to America and um, and then before we knew it, Ian and Michael decided to leave and form their own band. Mm. Uh, which they must have thought they'd get on without Fripp, which they did in a way. And um, so it, when it came in, so it, I carried on with Fripp, and the rest is history, as it were. Um, I decided that Robert and I was sufficiently King Crimson-y enough to allow ourselves to call a band King Crimson, and as long as we kept up the um, standards of said vehicle, then that was cool. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, I guess the two of you certainly... I mean, doesn't Robert Fripp still go by King Crimson now? Uh, well, he chases it through um, along the way, but I think he does in the back of his head anyway. Mm-hmm. But even when he had Adrian Ballou, he had, he had sufficient musicians to, be able to play the sort of music he wanted to play, and um, so I think in the back of his head he carries on as King Crimson. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, wow. Everyone else seems to think he did anyway. Yeah. And I, I carry on, and when I met PFA, I went, oh, how wonderful. I've got another version of King Crimson. <laughs> I can work with them and then sort of produce the same sort of music as I was before, which, once again, consisted of sort of rows and rows of surprises. Yeah, yeah, well, a lot of your music definitely does have those surprises, like with, with yeah. the lyrics, sounds, and, and all of that stuff. Yes, indeed, thank you, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you have, like, a favorite song you've ever written? Mm. I'm very fond of Moonchild, mm. uh, but it is my favourite song of all time. Um, I Talk to the Wind is a favourite song of all time. It captures a, a quiet quiet mood, which is quite difficult to capture, um, and uh, was very successful. It's, it's successful when people, when people hear it. Um, I like them all, I must admit. I'm quite pleased with any of them got written at all. <laughs> Huh. It always surprises me. So, so do you still like listen to to that music that you made back in the sixties, or not very much? Really, really. Um, occasionally. Hmm. But I listen to other music that's different. I listen to Indian music, Chinese music, world music. I love African music, for instance. Yes. Um, once again, looking for surprises and looking for um, the difference, the vital difference. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's really neat. I yeah, I was listening to um Fela Kuti last night. I was I'm doing oh, yeah. an English project on that, so I can definitely see where you're coming from from the African music. It, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's just so beautiful. Yeah, yes, I love it. The the whole like protest and dealing with the the Nigerian government. It's just so. Yes. Wow, that's 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 a song. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, it's yeah. Fela Kuti's great. Mm-hmm. We like all that. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, well, Not that... the least, because we don't understand anything very, very much, right? but um, that doesn't matter. We just get on with it. You know, I don't understand much Chinese music either, but um, I can listen to that for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I guess time. the the music speaks for itself, right? You don't... I think so. You can figure well, the out... the sound does anyway, the sound of the music, and um, yeah. Hmm. It does. The sound of the music speaks for itself. Wow. Yeah, I that's... Believe that. <laughs> Gosh, wow. Well, I, I don't know if, if this was something you were interested in at all, but would you mind, like, reciting one of your poems or, or songs? There's a copy, without a cover, of mm. my book of poems, called Under the Sky. It's now on the table. Oh, it's full of haikus. 
I like my haikus. Mm-hmm. I, I, I read some of them on your website. Uh, right. Yes, they make, they make a nice change from some of my more convoluted things. I'm very fond of them. Mm-hmm. There's one here. It's a haiku, and it's a haiku about music. Oh. And it says, a moth on B-flat, tobacco between the keys. Empty piano. There it goes. So do you... Do you write, like, a lot of haikus and, and poems nowadays? Or? Um, if I'm going to write and I just want to do something quickly, then I guess the answer is yes, I do quite. I like doing them very much. And, um, yes, I like, once again, the surprise factor of them and things like that. And, and also because they, they come out very quickly and you've, and you've got a new work of art, if you like. Hmm. And uh, I like doing that as well. But I, but I like long, sort of convoluted things. Uh, and um, But I do like writing haikus. There's, there's some joy in them, in the abbreviation of them. Yeah, yeah. It it, it really seems like like kind of a, a nice, you know, get what's on your yeah, mind, you, you get it on the page. Absolutely, and, and quickly. And if it's effective, and it sounds good, and it makes sense, and uh, I think it's a very... It's a, it's a piece of work, and it's done very quickly, and it's a joy. Mm. And there's nothing like creating a little more joy in the world, is there now? <laughs> yeah, well, well, how often would you say you like you still write poems? Very good question. I tend to look at the world poetically, but I actually sit down and write a poem. I don't do it that often, maybe once or twice a week. Wow. But I tend to look at the world because I watch the news all the time. And um, I'm amazed at its, um, at its movement and convolutions and, uh, and the evilness and the cruelty out there. And there's a lot of cruelty. And, uh, but it, it sometimes seems I, mean, I should write something quickly to counteract the cruelty and be part of the, uh, the other side, as it were. Yeah. Huh. That, that's, that's so cool. You can, like, you can just write stuff. Like, man, I... <laughs> You, yeah, you've convinced me now. Now I should start writing poems, right? There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Gosh. Wow. That's very good. Yeah. Well, man. That. Gosh. Talking. Well, please do that and then send me send me something you've written. I I will. Uh, yes. Yes. I will definitely do that. Um, okay. Yeah. And and thank you so much for talking to me, Peter. Okay. This you're is, welcome, man. This is so interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. That's thank good. you so much. And thus the wheels go round. Yes, they do. <laughs> I'm Sam, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Peter Sinfield, the lyricist for King Crimson, quite a band from, uh, I guess, the, the late 60s, 70s, uh, and I'm pretty sure they're still rolling, but uh, Peter's lyrics are just so, so incredible, and if you haven't heard King Crimson, I would definitely suggest you you listen to them. Yeah, and if you enjoyed that interview, make sure to check out my back pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcasting platform to listen to many great interviews just like this one.